Welcome to the Temple Forum, a podcast from First United Methodist Church in the heart of Chicago. Here we welcome a diversity of voices and conversation about how we live in the world as people of faith. You talked about joy and how this book can help. So let's just start with the basic. What is joy to you? What is joy? You know, it's funny because, so I've been asked this question a couple of times and I always, um, you know, hesitate a little bit because I know that joy may look different for lots of people. But I I think about joy as really an internal feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, So something that is really deep within us. Uh, it's something that can be cultivated, right? It's something that we can use to draw upon when we are in the midst of maybe difficult times. Um, so <clears throat> I would say joy is something that really emerges from a deep sense of contentment, um, a deep sense of gratitude. <laughs> And I I would really link it to, you know, an emotional and and a psychological state of being. That's kind of how I think about joy. And do you see a difference between joy and happiness? Are they basically the same? Yeah, I mean, I think that often they're used synonymously. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily think about them in the same way. I think that um, happiness can be an expression of joy, right? Mm -hmm. But when I think about happiness, and I could be wrong, and you know, I'm willing to, to argue about this, but when I think about happiness, it's something that's a little bit more fleeting than joy, right? Okay. So you can be happy for a moment, right? Or a mm-hmm. moment can bring you happiness. But I like to think about joy as something that is much more permanent, right? So it's just okay. a part of who we are. It's a part of our own kind of emotional landscape. Um, whereas happiness is something that comes and goes. So that would be I would say the primary distinction that I would uh, raise between joy and happiness. So I don't know if Al Green feels the same way, but (laughs) (laughs) that's that's what I think about in terms of joy and happiness. Well, for whatever it's worth, um, I agree with you on your distinction. (laughs) Um, So we can argue together whoever agrees with us. Sure. Um, And and after nostalgia, What is that? And how does it differ from, I guess, just nostalgia? Yeah. So nostalgia is, you know, a universal sentiment, right? So it's something that everyone, regardless of your age, your race, your culture, you experience nostalgia, right? Um, It can be nostalgia for something in your past, in your own past as you experienced it. But we also experience nostalgia for, you know, past that we've never experienced, right? So um, that, to my mind, is, is what makes kind of nostalgia a, a universal experience. So it's kind of a romantic recollection of the past, where we tend to minimize the things that are, you know, maybe a little bit more difficult about that past. And it also kind of maximizes the things that brought us um, happiness or, or joy, if you will, 
um, in that past. And we kind of draw upon it to inspire a sense of joy in our present, right? So especially if we're dealing with, um, you know, some challenging experiences, right? So that's usually when nostalgia comes into play as a coping mechanism. It's probably why nostalgia has actually experienced, you know, every time I turn around, since the book was published, somebody's talking about nostalgia. But I think it's because obviously the pandemic brought about a surge of nostalgia, right? People were nostalgic for 2019. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> like, remember my life way back then? Um, right. So, you know, nostalgia, I think, has really, you know, gained a lot of prominence in, you know, certainly um, popular culture and in, you know, critical conversations recently. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say where Afro-nostalgia differs is that it's specifically referring to romantic recollections of a Black historical past. So when I embarked upon this book, I was really looking for an answer to the question, is there anything in the Black historical past that we can draw from that's not traumatic? And of course there is, right? Um, but I wanted to think about what would be, what would that be and what would that look like? So for me, nostalgia was kind of the key concept or the key idea that I wanted to explore as a counterpoint to trauma, right? So, um, and a lot of this came from just teaching. So I okay. teach African-American literature almost every semester. And I was, you know, I, I teach it pretty chronologically, right? So I start mm -hmm. with contemporary narratives, I'm sorry, with narratives of slavery, and I actually end with contemporary narratives of slavery. So Beloved, The Known World, books like that. And as I was thinking about kind of the, the through line or the narrative that I was, you know, offering to my students, it occurred to me that there wasn't much joy in that, in that narrative, right? That, you know, we're starting with slavery, we're ending with contemporary narratives of slavery. Um, and Mel's narratives, it basically shows how many of our conditions have remained the same. I mean, obviously we're not enslaved anymore, mm -hmm. but in terms of, you know, a lot of the social challenges that, you know, Black folks experience in the present, that's kind of where we were ending. And I just felt increasingly uncomfortable with that narrative. And because I, you know, most of my students, full disclosure, are not African-American. Um, and so, you know, when they left the class, I didn't want them to walk away with a very one-dimensional idea of what, you know, the Black experience in America was, that it's all trauma, suffering, pain. <clears throat> Excuse me. I wanted them to, sh to see that there's joy <laughs> there as well. There's resilience. There's optimism. There's creativity. Um, and so those are the, the kind of touch points of the Black historical past that I wanted to start to reference. And that's what I refer to as Afro-nostalgia. As, as you think through that, though, um, you're right. It's, it's very, it's very uh, rare that, particularly during this month, as we think about Black history, that slavery sure. doesn't take the uh, center-most um, thought piece. Yeah. So how do you look at this? and see the joy without the fear of historical erasure yes. and as if we're creating something new that didn't happen. Yeah. So one of the things I talk about in the book is precisely that, that you know, 
it has been the case that nostalgia has been used for, for bad, right? That, you know, there have been kind of um, evil intentions, if you will, when it comes to nostalgia. And it's specifically um, in the service of what you just said is erasing the pain of the past or erasing that trauma. And that's something that I would never advocate for, right? Um, so that's why I wanted to think about nostalgia as a, a, a compliment, right? Or as something that we draw upon to present a rather three-dimensional experience of Black history. Um, mm -hmm. So we're not just drawing upon the trauma of the past, but we're also drawing upon, you know, again, the things that were maybe more um, positive, things that um, were expressions of, you know, Black creativity, uh, Black invention, those kinds of things. And so that's really what I wanted to put forth in this book is that, you know, I don't think that those it's important to know about those traumatic moments, right? Especially because we don't want to repeat them. But at the same time, you know, I firmly believe that, you know, Black people would have never survived those experiences if all they had was pain. <laughs> um, so that there was love there, um, that there was community there, that there was family, even, you know, if that was a more tenuous situation, um, they did a lot, or I would say our ancestors did a lot to kind of cultivate those bonds um, and to kind of forge a way out of no way. And I think that that's really important to understand as part of the Black experience as well. It's not putting on rosy glasses, but recognizing the reality, but there was joy along with the sorrow. Well, yeah, I mean, I think a good example of um, historical erasure, as you mentioned, is, you know, there was the big controversy a few years ago um, about that children's book, A Birthday Cake for George Washington. I don't know if anyone remembers that, that brouhaha, but basically um, the book came under a lot of criticism because it profiled George Washington's enslaved, very famed chef, Hercules. And, you know, it put forth this picture of Hercules as kind of the happy slave. And so, you know, Scholastic and the book and the author obviously came under a lot of fire um, because people said, you know, <laughs> this is really misleading. Um, and this is really, you know, not, it's historic, it's intellectually dishonest uh, because that's not really um, the condition under which this enslaved person lived, right? So, um, and that's certainly not something we want to put forth in a children's book. And we know that Hercules was not a happy slave because he ran away. <laughs> so, um, and he was never found. Okay. So uh, clearly he didn't want to be there. <laughs> so okay. um, so I, I would say that like, that's the kind of nostalgia that we might want to avoid <laughs> kind of drawing upon um, this term. But that's, that's just an example um, of the kind of historical erasure that I would, that I would certainly guard against as well. Yeah, I think that was a great illustration of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, in the book, you talk about um, using photographs and literature. Tell us more about things we can use to be able to see that full picture. Sure. You know, it's interesting because I don't think, you know, again, as I, as I mentioned, I had to do a little digging for that second set right. of, of images, right? Those are not, you know, if you Google you know, African-Americans, 1950s, it's unlikely that you'll come up with <laughs> the images that I showed you on, on the second slide. Um, so I think that that takes a little bit more work, but I also think that, you know, it's just a matter of also 
being really attentive to kind of what other things are kind of happening happening in the culture um, and where this desire to kind of see romantic recollections of the Black historical past are emerging. So um, I know that it was maybe a couple of years ago when the film, the Amazon film, Sylvie's Love, which I really enjoyed. I don't know if people are familiar with it, um, but it, it came on Amazon and it's basically, you know, a love story. It's set in the 1950s and 60s. And I have to say, it was really interesting because the first time I watched it, I literally held my breath the entire time mm-hmm. because I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop. So basically it's about a couple in love and I'm just like, what's going to happen to them? This is going mm-hmm. too well. Something's going to happen. <laughs> um, and it's just going to break my heart because, you know, you know, things are just moving a, a little too smoothly for this period piece that Mm -hmm. centers, you know, African-Americans just to be about love. And I'm not spoiling anything, just in case you haven't seen it. But it is, in fact, just about love. (laughs) And I I thought to myself, wow, you know, I was so, you know, I'm so accustomed to this, you know, framework of this narrative that we get. Um, And that's not to say that, you know, you know, what was happening in, in Black culture wasn't in the backdrop of the film, mm-hmm. but it wasn't at the center. What was at the center was the, the love experience of these two people. And um, I was reading a, an interview with the director, Eugene Ash, and he said that his motivation for the, or his inspiration for the film came through looking at family photographs. And I thought that that was really interesting because it was taking this moment of personal nostalgia and trans- <laughs> transforming it to kind of a broader historical nostalgia, right? Something that mm-hmm. we might all experience and desire um, as, a, as a broader viewing audience. So, you know, I think it's a matter of just kind of seeing, you know, where these things are out there. The reboot of the Wonder Years is another example of uh, where nostalgia is kind of happening in our, our day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's all around us okay. <laughs> and it's just a matter of kind of paying attention to it when it's there. Okay. All right. You mentioned, you know, the difficulty in finding, um, the, the joy part, if you will, of the experience. Were there other things that surprised you as you were doing your research for the book? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what surprised me the most when I started working on the book was that my hunch was correct. So I had a hunch when I started working on the book that there was not going to be much I could find okay. <laughs> with respect to African American, uh, the African American historical past and nostalgia or kind of romantic remembrances of that past. And I, so let me just say that a lot of my research focuses on overlooked and undervalued aspects of, you know, Black interiority. So I, I think about um, feelings, emotions, moods, uh, as they relate to Black people, mm-hmm. and specifically the ways in which we've been denied full expression <laughs> of those sentiments over, over time. 
So, you know, in the book, I talk about, for example, Thomas Jefferson's notes on the state of Virginia, in which he basically says pretty plainly that Black people just don't feel as much. They're just less sentient. They have less of a capacity to love. I think one of his most interesting quotes is their griefs are transient. <laughs> um, so he kind of goes down the range of emotions. And, you know, this is obviously his way of rationalizing enslaving people, right? By talking about the fact that, hey, they're not really fully human. And then um, kind of going down the list of, of sentiments and emotions that he believes makes people fully human and mm -hmm. explaining why Black people don't experience that. And what's fascinating to me about Jefferson's book, which was written in the late 18th century, is that I see that today, in the ways that especially we think about um, how African-Americans are regarded by, you know, just thinking about, you know, a lot of the police shootings, for example, right? Um, the inability to see people as, as less than human, right? Or as less, um, less feeling, less uh, emotive, right? And that's, that becomes then a rationale or dehumanizing them. So, um, and I, I have to say, I, I've lost, I think I lost the strain of your question, <laughs> but, but uh, I'll just finish by saying that, you know, one of the things that's really important to me with, with the nostalgia is, um, you know, pointing to this emotional um, concept and as something that African-Americans were said not, or, yeah, African-Americans were said not to be able to experience, right? So that was a common scientific belief in the 19th or the 18th century that African-Americans or African-descendant people could not experience nostalgia. And I was surprised to find that. Well, I was just say kind of surprised <laughs> because okay, there were so many things that, that Black folks were said not to be able to experience, right? Um, but to have it confirmed, I think, was, was surprising for me. And do you think there's any difference in the um, power of nostalgia if you are relating it to personal experiences versus relating it to historical experiences? Um, not necessarily. I mean, you know, again, I think nostalgia is a very powerful political, it can, it can be a very uh, powerful personal tool. It can also be a very powerful political tool. I mean, again, going back to the ways that it has not been used for good. You know, mm -hmm. if we only think about, for example, make America great again, that's a very nostalgic concept, right? <laughs> um, it just is, you know, and, and obviously, you know, there's, there's all kinds of issues and, and, and problematics around that concept. But, you know, that is this idea, right, of that there was something kind of better in the past, right? And that we need to somehow get back to that past. And I think that's one of the dangers of nostalgia is that, um, when, it, when it's kind of used in that way, is that it's a very regressive idea. And I like to think about nostalgia as something that is more future-oriented, right? Um, it's also something that, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of work at the intersection of African-American literature and psychology. And nostalgia has actually had quite a bit of a renaissance in psychological studies over the past decade. And they've shown that 
Nostalgia can generate feelings of hope, optimism for the future, um, happiness, self-esteem, gratitude, altruism. So there are all these kind of positive affects or positive um, sentiments that are connected to, to nostalgia. So um, I think, you know, in terms of whether it's the historical or the personal, um, both can generate those same kinds of, of positive emotions. Yeah. I'd like to stay here a little bit longer sure. because when we think of, when I think about nostalgia, I think history. I think okay. what happened in the past. And I rarely think about how that can inform what happens in the future. Mm-hmm. And when you mentioned that nostalgia being future oriented, it was like, wow, what does that really mean? So can sure. you talk more about that? Sure. I mean, so I think when we're thinking about nostalgia, so if we're in a moment of discontent, for example, right, and we kind of harken back to a positive memory in the past, right? So we harken back to a nostalgic moment. What we're really doing is kind of thinking about, you know, what was it about that moment that made it good? (laughs) What moment, what was it about that moment that made us happy? And then we try to think about maybe how that can be reproduced or how we can kind of harness that and in our, to deal with our present day circumstances and maybe to think about how to move past those feelings of discontent or the challenges of the moment, right? So we're really trying to kind of draw upon the past to, to kind of feed us in the present and to give us a way to, to think about or to move forward. And so that's what I mean when I talk about nostalgia not just being something that is, you know, this kind of... Um, regression to the past and kind of staying there, but really how we're kind of utilizing those nostalgic memories to think about ways to, kind of, to deal with, you know, what's, what's in front of us right now, and then how we go about um, addressing that in the future. And sometimes we find tools in, in those past memories that actually give us, you know, a way to, to um, frame or to kind of think about um, how to, uh, yeah, so how to, how, to, how to move past our current circumstances. And maybe that talks to what you said earlier about um, people using nostalgia during this COVID time. Yeah. And it turning into people deciding to make significant changes in their future um, based on not necessarily liking everything they saw as to what 2019 meant and how it could be better as we come out of this. this Exactly. I mean, I think, you know, this could be a really transformative moment for us Mm -hmm. as a, you know, individually, certainly, but I think also as a society. Um, And one of the, the things I talk about in the book, I think in the last chapter is, you know, I wrote about how do we create a society worth being nostalgic for or how do we create a future worth being nostalgic for right um and so when we think about future generations you know what are we doing now so that they look back at this moment and it's not just you know disdain and despair um but maybe that there's something now that we can cultivate maybe there's something now that we can do to kind of create those future nostalgic moments as well huh Uh, i don't think you are were um with us this morning, but it ties to some degree back to what Pastor talked about. Maybe this is our here am I moment. Um, as he talked about um, God calling on his people to act, 
And this is our opportunity to do so. So if we could use nostalgia to think back to what do we want future generations to look back to now and see, and instead of wishing someone else could take care of that, this is our moment to act. Absolutely, and, um, I love involved. that. Um, so going back to the book again, um, the things that we read there, is it multi-generational? Is this just as good for someone in their 80s as it is someone in their 20s? I think so. I mean, you know, certainly it, there may not be the same personal memories, right? Um, because right. that's a very individual thing. But, you know, I think about just the way in which we even tend to romanticize certain historical periods, mm -hmm. um, just, you know, just as a culture. And this isn't tied to race necessarily, but you know, my kids were small. They used to love going to medieval times, you know? <laughs> and, you know, or, you know, you think about Renaissance fairs. I mean, there's so many, as a culture, we're really steeped in nostalgia in so many different ways, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, if we think about that, you know, certainly teenagers could have, you know, certain nostalgic desires at, or shared nostalgic desires as senior citizens. So, um, I, I'm sorry, something just came to mind. My daughter, <laughs> oh, she's a she's 18, and I remember we were driving around, and you were talking about movies, and she's like obsessed with like old school music and like old films and things like that. Okay. Or what to her or old films? They're not old to me. Um, but she says, you know, I wish I grew up in an era of romantic love like the 90s. And I'm like, was the 90s an era of romantic oh, love? Like way back then. <laughs> and of course, I felt I felt a little a little old in that moment. Like, oh, I I, I don't think that that was an era of romantic love. Um, as I experienced it, you know, there's certainly you know moments in the 90s that I'm nostalgic for. But just to think about, like for her, you know, she has a very idealized view of that past, and and so. That makes me think that, you know, it can certainly span generations. And I think what you're speaking to there, too, is that as we look back, it depends on our experiences as to how we see that past. Yeah. I guess how we see anything. Um, I, I see the 90s a little differently, and I guess I would than someone who was going through it possibly in their 80s as they were going through the 90s versus someone who was much younger going through it. Sure. Um, but I will say that you did make me feel much older with that story. <laughs> um, and I'm not, I'm not thanking you for that. I'm just stating. <laughs> As you were writing, what do you want people to take away from your book? Um, I think going back to, again, my, my central idea, which is that you know, we might look to nostalgia as a way to get beyond trauma, right? So that um, the focus, or what I've seen at least in terms of the focus on this traumatic through line of Black life mm -hmm. is not, I think it's dangerous, right? And I think it's also intellectually dishonest because mm -hmm. we, we know that that's not all that there was. And so, for me, I want to really point people to kind of the history of nostalgia, how this has kind of 
traditionally worked in our culture. And then also thinking about ways that we might harness the power of nostalgia to actually, you know, think about our own historical past differently. Um, But then also going back to this idea of the future, Mm -hmm. (laughs) about how we might think about crafting a more just, equitable society um, in in the years ahead, right? What what can we do now to kind of create, again, a future worth being nostalgic for? So those would be, I think, my key takeaways from the book. And also, you know, nostalgia is not something that is, um, I think it's something that we often just kind of take for granted and and leave it there. Mm -hmm. Um, But this idea of nostalgia, I think, is, is really pervasive. Um, and it's something that, you know, again, we can, we can really use to, to harness, to bring about a a personal sense of joy and to, I think, have kind of a broader impact as well. Thank you, Dr. Badia, for sharing your story and learnings from writing your book, Afro Nostalgia, Feeling Good in Contemporary Black Culture, as part of our Black History Month programming. I'm Rita Barksdale. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Temple Forum. You've been listening to the Temple Forum from First United Methodist Church in Chicago. You can find more conversations like this online at chicagotemple.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Please join us again soon.